I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program reality. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Johnny Android, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in the metaverse. Record our episodes live in all space every week. You can join us. Yes, you. It's free, and you don't have to use a head. You don't have to have a headset, although it would be great. Let's log into all space uh, on your laptop or on your headset and teleport in to offer your opinion, question, or whatever else. Today we're talking with a true pioneer in motion capture technology. You may have seen his work in little films known as Star Wars, where he played Jar Jar Binks. Ahmed Best has since got on to stay a part of the Star Wars universe in various roles and also branch beyond the galaxy far, far away into the metaverse, which is where we have him here. Ladies and gentlemen, give a warm emoji welcome for Ahmed. Welcome. Welcome, Ahmed. Should I call you Afro Bison or should I call you Ahmed? Because your your tag above your avatar is Afro Bison. Um, either one is cool. Afro Bison, Bison, or Ahmed is fine. Um, just call me yeah. Ahmed. It'll probably be less confusing. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, uh, you know, we were we met on a panel that was about identity in the metaverse, and all of us here have yes. many splintered identities. If you're not schizophrenic yet, come into the metaverse, and you will be. Uh, but we had a yes. great talk. I should yeah. get a shout out Tilt and shout out Trisha here from Oregon Air. Uh, Origami Air. Held the, yep, held the panel and did an amazing job uh, with a week long uh, series of events about the metaverse and, and all of that in their world. And um, yep. now we get to have you on our stage. So I'm super excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. Really well, happy to be know, here. Yeah, we got a lot to uh, to go through. So I'd love to hear about your origin story and how you just got involved in. Let's. I mean, we got to start way back with motion capture, and we got to yeah. start, you know, and then head into virtual reality after that. So let's just start at the very beginning with. I guess you're a performer. You started acting and and all of that, and how you got involved in motion capture. Yeah, um, I got my start in New York City in theater, um, and I was in a show called Stomp for years and uh, doing Stomp in San Francisco is how I was discovered for Star Wars. And um, my first experience with motion capture was at my screen test for The Phantom Menace. I had no idea what it was. Um, and, and the funny thing is like, neither did anyone else really. I mean, everybody was kind of figuring it out as we went along. And this was the mm -hmm. first time um, motion capture was being used for a main character in a, in, in a feature-length film. So big question about it was, would it translate as a storytelling device? And um, could you sustain a character for that long? Because um, nobody knew until Jar Jar, like motion capture characters were only on screen for like short periods of time. Right. Um, would be like one kind of big motion capture like thing or an event or uh, or it would be like dinosaurs, Jurassic Park, right? And um, it, what, what actually convinced George to do Jar Jar was Jurassic Park. Um, cause ILM was a big part of Jurassic Park and they made the dinosaurs. So he was like, well, if the dinosaurs are believable enough in this movie, then it's time for motion capture characters to take a, a bigger role. 
And so Jar Jar was kind of the first step in that in in movies. So in my right. screen test, they put me in the in the mocap suit with all the targets and all the stuff and a headband. And I had like six inch platform heels. Um, so I, I must have looked like some sort of weird superhero because I was in this tight, you know, one 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 piece cat suit with a headband. Right. Um and you know, I looked like this weird aerobics instructor. Um right. but what I was asked to do was like walk through this area called the volume, right? And the volume is where all of these infrared cameras shoot at the targets that are on your body and um, capture your emotion, right? And this was when like, you know, computers were like three feet thick and monitors were, I mean, the, the room looked like the 1970s, like sci-fi computer movie. So this is the same thing that they do with Mandalorian, where they use the volume now, but it's completely different, right? They still call it the volume, don't they? Call it the volume in Mando, but it's different in Mando because now the volume is environment. It's yeah. virtual environment, which is um, way better than how we did it, which was like blue screen. There was just blue and green, like chroma key everywhere, right? I think it, I, I've got a picture here, yeah. Uh, so they yeah. it, but they use green screen these days, but they were using blue screen back then. But I think they stopped doing that because yeah. it blue is sky and water, and it just was too many uh, elements of nature. Yeah, and also costume. I mean, the thing about chroma key is if you're wearing anything the same color as the chroma key, that's going to disappear. And so people like the color blue. It's it's very it's ubiquitous in in clothing. Um, so they switched the chroma key out to green because it's probably less green enclosed than blue enclosed. Oh, that must have been a, a great honor, though. Your your first movie experience. So you're you're on the stage in New York. You're having an incredible time with Stomp. They must have recognized your dancing ability, your power with your body, and they said this is uh -huh. uh, the the type of movements we want for this new character. And then you go and I mean, what a way to start. You're talking about starting at the top. That's pretty incredible. Yeah, um, it was my first movie, my first um, feature experience. And I got to learn with George Lucas. It was fantastic. I loved it. Yes, he is. Really uh, I'm just going to ask the Star Wars trivia before we move on. Was he as, as quiet as they say, where he doesn't give any uh, direction to actors and he kind of just works on the technical elements or... That not your no, I think that's a misnomer. I think, you know, what happens with George is he's incredibly collaborative. Yeah. So he let us be us without holding on to what he thought we should be. I had a different experience than everybody else because I worked with him a lot closer than everyone else because motion capture technology was being written as I was doing it. Right. So the software was being created using my movements, using my body, using my acting skills. So George had much more of a, a collaborative, uh, a longer collaborative process with me than he did with Liam, you and Natalie and little Jake, right? Um, so I didn't really find it. I, I found him to be incredibly um incredibly generous he gave us such a, a, a wide earth to figure out who we are and who these characters were and we were kind of all learning at the same time you know george hadn't directed in 20 years right. you know he'd been, he'd been producing 
but he hadn't really directed anything in 20 years. So he was getting back into it and that brought a lot of excitement and he was just really excited to be on set and direct and direct us. So I thought, um, I thought he was, um, he was you know, just wonderful, wonderful to work yeah. with. After all, yeah. I know that, you know, when you were uh, talking on this uh, panel we were on with Ora Gamier, you were, uh, you were mentioning that you, not only were you, uh, your body movements helping to develop that technology, but that that technology is still used today. That is. Yeah. yeah it's, the, it's one of these things that, you know, we, we don't really investigate unless you're like people like us who are just like, you know, first in you know, people who are just super interested in new technologies and new ideas and 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 really you know open-minded enough to try these things but um we think we we think about code and metadata right and the fact that motion capture technology code is available the way it is because of how i moved right um, and what we were talking about with Origami Air and with my partner, Dr. Lonnie Brooks, with the Afrorhythms Futures Group, uh, Air Afrorhythms, um, in, in our airship, Air Afrorhythms that we're doing with Origami Air, um, we talk about how digital cells and, you know, actual cells um, are being used in ways that um, we have little control over or a little say over. And we use Henrietta Lacks as um, a test case and how Henrietta Lacks' cells and motor cells are used to create every vaccine that we use in order to save human beings, right? So, you know, the provocation is, how are my digital cells as one of the, you know, software engineers physically of motion capture being used in major motion pictures today? How I don't, you know, much like Henrietta Lacks's family, I don't get any compensation for that. Right. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting dilemma. And it's one of those things where almost you can't even imagine these dilemmas as they come about. And you kind of, yeah. as we become, that's the danger of being a pioneer is that you're kind of yes. an experiment, right? And yes. we don't know even the questions to ask or the contracts to sign or whatever. And Absolutely. Uh, it's a, it's, yeah, it's an interest, interesting process. Um, Tilt, Tilt might have something to say. I don't know if you did it by accident, Tilt, but I'm calling on you. How's it going, Tilt? It's like it might have been by accident. Yeah. Well, if you have, if you had anything, Tilt, let us know. I'll definitely call on you in in a bit. So we're in what 1997 or something like that. You're using this yeah, technology. Yeah, 97. It's another eight years or so before the trilogy is completed, right? So this takes up a big yes. chunk of your life, right? Um, yeah, it, and, it was pretty huge. Yeah, I bet. It's pretty um, pretty life-changing, I imagine, too. You get you have a pretty big audience with Stomp, but this is a whole other level of, of an audience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a whole different kind of fan base. Right. whole different kind of fan base. A lot, a, lot, a lot more global. Yeah, and so you sort of stayed in the Lucas family, in a sense, right? You have been um, involved with Star Wars since then. Do you want to talk about some of the other uh, roles that you've had? Yeah, um, you know, what's wonderful, it's when you do a movie or a play or something, everybody's like so close for a short amount of time and then you guys go away. You you don't see each other for years, but for some reason, our our little, you know, prequel group, we stay pretty tight 
it's funny like all the generations stay tight like even the first gen guys they're they're a lot tighter than people would think like mark and frank and and, and harrison and you know and um carrie arrester they were very close together you know and so i think all of our groups stay close it was funny because every time we go to premieres all the groups kind of clump up <laughs> you know it's like mm. the prequel group we all talk and then the og mm. groups they all talk and then the sequel groups they all talk um but the good thing is, is we're this kind of family and um mark hamill is really kind of the, the the glue that connects us all he's very He's such a warm and generous person, um, and he's always reaching out. He's so very kind, and you know he he's he's kind of the one who makes us. Who he's like the guy who gets the family reunion together, you know, <laughs> either on or offline. Um, so uh, yeah, and the good thing is because these stories are like mythology, we get to contribute in many different ways, whether they be books, comics um animation like i did a lot of clone wars mm -hmm. with dave filoni um mm, who is nice. who is now doing a lot of the live action dave filoni is doing ahsoka right now he's directing ahsoka and big in the mandalorian and he's kind of like george's or parent like george really like took him aside and trained him and he's carrying on the legacy of star wars and then him and john favreau who are are really helming what's coming next you know but they're so cool like every once in a while they'll be like hey come down and see what we're doing and you know and they're very open and generous and they always ask me george questions <laughs> so it's we're we're a cool fam yeah, yeah. Well, Dave Filotti, those and John Favreau, they really have taken, you know, what I thought was a little bit of some missteps with J.J. Abrams stuff, and they've really corrected the ship. And Mandalorian, Obi Wan, these shows are amazing, and uh, the direction they're going yeah. now is really incredible. So, uh, it's I, I would, you know, it's it's really is Dave Filoni. He's just an encyclopedia, I would assume, of all of the Star Wars lore, Star Wars from the books, and even from non-canon, right? He sort of is really the protege yeah yeah he's really he's really the keeper of the flame you know he's like a star wars librarian um which is awesome because it's it's great to have you know i think uh, i think he has more encyclopedic knowledge than george does because you know george kind of makes it up you know <laughs> but you know you can go to filoni and be like hey what happened in season three of clone wars with you know, such and such character and so, and he'll just tell you, you know, yeah. and how it, yeah. how it lines up with Star Wars canon. Like he'll just, he's that guy. He's yeah. just that guy. Cool. Um, so I think there's one other chapter to your Star Wars story before we move on to what you're, uh, uh been up to since, but, um, maybe you want to tell us about this Kelleran Beck character. Um, Kelleran Beck. Called, yeah. Yeah. The sabered hand sabered hand <laughs> um well uh i really enjoy keller and beck keller and beck was the host of jedi temple challenge which was a kid show that i did with starwars.com and it was on uh youtube one of my biggest dreams in my life was to be a game show host like i love i always in my life wanted to be a game show host so when um, 
our words came to me and they were like, we have this kids game show. I was just like, oh my God, this is perfect. I love kids. Want to be a game show host. I'm doing this, right? So um, they were just like, well, you get to make up who you are. You know, you're going to be a Jedi. You get to make up this Jedi. So, you know, as as somebody who writes stories and is a filmmaker and, and you know, loves comic books and Star Wars, I just kind of went crazy with Keller and Beck and created this character with this history and gave him, you know, a nickname, the Saber Hand, which actually comes from, uh, you know, I'm a martial artist and um, one of the martial arts that I do is called Screema. It's from the Philippines. Um, and um, it's a, a stick and knife weapons art. Um, and one hand has a stick and the other hand has a knife. But when you don't have a knife, your other hand is empty, like the empty hand. But instead of calling it an empty hand, they call it the bladed hand, right? Because mm. it's your knife hand. Um, so you're always you're always you looking at that empty hand as like it has a knife. So you always refer to it as the bladed hand. So I took that idea of the bladed hand and gave it to Keller and Beck and turned the blade into a saber, a sabered hand. But I also have this like idea for how Kellerin uses the sabered hand and it has something to do with like the Sith lightning and to be able to channel that in the light side of the force way to make a lightsaber from your hand, which I was going to do if we got a season two, but right. no word yet. Right. right. <laughs> okay. Well, cool. Well, we'll all be, uh, we'll all be putting the good metaverse vibes out there for the game show. That sounds really fun. I got to check it out. Yes. Is it, is it on Disney plus? Did you say, or where could, no, it's on um, it's on Star Wars uh, Kids YouTube page. Okay. Um, oh. and it's really good if you have if you if you need something for your kids to do in the summertime, because um, what what happened with with Jedi Temple Challenge is like everybody was kind of locked down for the pandemic when it came out, and so it's a series of challenges that take kids through like Padawan to like getting their lightsaber and getting. Um, to be a Jedi and they get cloaked and robed and everything. But it has these almost like ninja warrior type of skills that you have to do. And so I would constantly be getting um, emails and Twitter responses and Instagrams for of people and pictures of them creating their own like challenges in their backyards. Hmm. Uh, so it was a really good way for kids to keep themselves occupied during the pandemic by jumping around their backyards trying to become Jedis. Totally. It was fun. Well, I hope nobody got cool hurt. You, I did not sanction that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's cool that you've gone from uh, an alien species in Jar Jar uh, to a the dean of Jedi, young Jedi's uh, with uh, with Keller and Bexy. I love that you're a part of the entire galaxy in all these different ways. It's really interesting. Yeah, um, that was my third. That was my third Star Wars character, Keller and Beck. I, I did Jar Jar. I did Ahmed Beck, which was. A, a cameo I did in Attack of the Clones. Um, mm. And that was all because of Anthony Daniels, who plays C-3PO. Um, on my day off, he was like, going to be in the movie. I was like, what are you talking about? It's my day off. He was like, come on. And then he like dragged me to the costume department and gave me this like pilot's uniform. I was like, what is this? He was like, we're going to make a cameo in the movie. I was like, but it's my day off. I don't want to... <laughs> I'm tired, right? Like, nope, you're doing it. 
So we start put this thing on and then I started getting into it. I was just like, oh, this is actually kind of cool. And so the same thing, like I, I developed a, a backstory to this guy and I have um, a, 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 a scar on my face. Um, and, and that comes from, you know, in, in not in the metaverse, but in the meat verse, as you say, Johnny. Meat space, the meat yeah, verse, that's right. <laughs> in the meat space. Um, I have a scar on my face. I've I've had it since I was six years old. So um, every time I have, if every time I'm able to like create something, I always put like some kind of a facial scar on it, just just in homage to my my personal facial scar. But I put this like blaster scar around his eye, and <laughs> and so in the bar scene in Attack of the Clones, while Ewan is trying to figure out like what's going on, him and Hayden are just in the bar me and Anthony Daniels are just hiding out. And then, you know, we're shooting the thing and I'm just thinking we're just chilling, gonna have some fun in the bar. And then George is like, oh, we gotta give Ahmed a close up. And I was like, I don't know, I don't want a close up. I was just chilling, you know? I kind of wanted to be extra. And then everybody in the, all the actors were just like, wait, why are you getting a close up? Who are you? You know? <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm nobody. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> I guess they, you know, he just liked the scar on my face. But then all of a sudden, like, I got an action figure, you know, and then oh. I get this action figure in the mail and it's Ahmed Beck. Just weird. Yeah. Right. So um, that was my second Star Wars character. And then Kelleran is the third. Oh, well, one of these go, characters guys. is going to stick. I, um, you and, know, at <laughs> the very least, definitely like a Every, at the very least, everyone here is going to win the, the next Star Wars trivia challenge because they've got yeah. this is the insider baseball right here. I love it. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> <laughs> so you did make a, a throwaway comment a little earlier that you're a filmmaker. Uh, I would be remiss yes. if I didn't say that you went to the American Film Institute, which is also my meat space. Need space self may or may not have also got the American Film Institute. Yes. And where's uh, where's Futurosity over here? Curiosity, our man, our producer, our our legend, our uh, moderator is also a AFI grad. Um, do you want to AFI. tell us a little bit about that experience? Yeah, you know, AFI was interesting because I I went to AFI quite late um, um, in my career. I, I started writing and producing a lot of things and and directing a lot of things, and I sold a couple, and then all of a sudden everything went dry. I couldn't sell anything for a long time. And I was just like, well, what is going on? I, I, there's something that I don't know. And so I, I didn't have an advanced degree. Um, my, my, my undergrad is in music. You know, I, 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 I trained as a musician and I'd always been acting professionally. So I never went to like college for acting, but I had always acted. I was always like on stage doing something. I was always doing a play, but I thought I was going to be playing music for the rest of my life. So I went to music school and then the acting thing actually became more of a career than the music thing. And um, then I just pivoted to filmmaking because it was just an easy pivot for me as, as an actor. I knew all of the actors problems as a director and my father is a cinematographer. So I grew up around cameras and sets and stuff like that. My father's more in like documentaries which was way harder, I think, because he would always like look in a room and just be like, how am I going to light this thing? Mm -hmm. I would always be like um, hanging around my father. Then he also did Good Morning. He was a cameraman for Good Morning America. That was like his day job. 
So I would, wow. I would it's always be around so like Good Morning America. I was in New York City. Yeah. I'm from New York City. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, my father went to film school. So at, I think I was like 37 to 38 years old. I was just like, I'm going to go to film school. My wife was like, what are you crazy? <laughs> are you going to go back to school now? And I was like, well, yeah, I think I want to get an advanced degree. I want to formalize my filmmaking education because I'm mostly, you know, experience, experiential. I wanted to formalize it a bit. Um, and I wanted to learn what I didn't know. I wanted to like really go back to, you know, as they say in martial arts, I wanted to go back to being a white belt, you know, and, and try to figure out, figure out this thing. Mm. And, and so I went to AFI and AFI was, it was interesting. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you have your uh, stories about AFI as well. AFI used to be a place where professional filmmakers would go to get you know better right but it turned more into like a grad school now it's not necessarily that anymore so mm. i was there were there were i had so much life experience that it was mm. it was hard for me to find my place there you know mm. because you know a lot of the a lot of the professors would say, well, in the real world, you couldn't do this. And I was just like, yeah, no, you could. It's kind of, it's right. kind, of kind of bullshit. Like you could do this. And then the parameters they put on you in AFI are so incredibly unrealistic because when you're out there in the world, you have to beg, borrow and steal for everything, for every shot. Um, and so when you're tasked to do a film at AFI, they put these constraints on you. And I found those constraints more challenging than um, useful, right? Mm. And then I just, I mean, I did shit my way anyway. But what it really helped me do was formalize my way of teaching. Because mm. I, I realized what they weren't doing in it. And um, I was like, if I ever teach, this is how I would do it, right? And so... I, I developed my way of teaching filmmaking, which I teach now at, at USC. I also That's teach right. um, at uh, I teach at the D School at Stanford. I teach um, Afrofuturism and future design at the D School at Stanford. But I teach actually filmmaking and storytelling. And the way I teach it, you know, I teach like how to design a film. But it really is about how to design space, any, any space. Um, and how to give space meaning emotionally, right? Um, and that's kind of what I figured out at AFI that they weren't doing. They weren't really looking at space, which is what makes me so excited about the metaverse and working with um, Origami Air and doing what we're doing in the metaverse. Because theater-wise, in three-dimensional space, you know, having depth gives you more of a, a palette to tell a story, right? Two-dimensional space, depth is still transfers to two dimensions, right? So when you're talking screens, you're talking real estate, right? And how to best use that real estate depending on the size of the screen, right? I think a big mistake that a lot of young filmmakers make are they make a film and then they watch on their iPhone, right? But they're yeah. shooting it, shooting it for the iPhone. 
when it gets to a big screen, it's, you know, it's huge. And mostly what everybody does is they go right in for the close-up. So you're watching like somebody's movie and it's all close-ups. You realize that when the filmmakers usually realize that they're looking at people's noses for, for you know, 50 to 90 minutes, right? Because they're not looking at the space. They're not, they're not playing with the real estate. But in three dimensions, it's a lot easier to deal with the real estate because you don't have to translate that. Hey, sorry about that. Yeah, with three dimensions, you don't have to retranslate that for a screen, right? You can do it in three dimensions. Cool. So, uh, so I guess that's the, is it, you're working at USC and Stanford that led you into working in the metaverse or how did you make the transition from film into this 3D virtual space that we have before us? It was really Tilt. Um, uh, he contacted me through, a, we have a mutual friend, Kamal Sinclair, who um, used to work at Sundance, the media. And um I've known Kamal. Kamal and I were in Stomp together. I've known Kamal for almost 30 years. And um, when she was actually the first person to um, introduce me to the Oculus. When Chris Milk had the Oculus at New Media, Sundance New Media, um, for the first time, I jumped in it and I was, I was blown away by it. Of course, you couldn't do any of this. You know, it was just like this space thing that you flew in but I, I was just like oh this is a great this is great I, I really loved it I really enjoyed it I felt it you know it's very emotional um the oculus you know VR is very emotional and that's I see myself as like an emotional athlete as an actor you know that's that's pretty much what we do we we're, we're, we're we can access our emotions to convene you know what we call the truth in imaginary circumstances, which is a bunch of actor talk. But it really is about being able to access your emotions so people, your audience can believe what you're saying, regardless of what you're saying. So, you know, as, a, as an athlete, as an emotional athlete, I felt like the Oculus really lent itself towards what I like to do, you know, when I talk about storytelling. But then till... Um, hit me up and I, I think he saw a lot of the stuff that my partner Lonnie Brooks and I were doing with Afrorhythms and thought that it would be great for Origami Air. And um, I jumped into Origami Air and I was blown away. And then I realized it's just something that I, I needed to be a part of. I just loved it. And I love everything that, you know, Tilt and, and, and Nike are doing and um, air Afrorhythms. We're doing a we're doing a, a kind of a, an unveiling of the Air Afrorhythms on Juneteenth, and it's just been amazing. It's just been so amazing to be able to to make these things and build it and to collaborate and just really take this entire journey and learn about the metaverse. Love it. Do you want to explain to people? Uh, Chortle had a good question, which is, "What is Origami Air?" And uh, I don't know if Tilt or Trisha. You want to answer that, but um, maybe you could uh, give us a little hint there. Hi. Hey, yeah, Trisha. I'm here. I mean, hi. Hey, how's it going? 
Uh, yeah, this is still right next to me. I'm Nanki. Origami Air is a, uh, we're world building and uh, network in the metaverse. So we work with all sorts of different companies and groups and universities and individuals, and we world build with them and we build um, massive large scale worlds within this 3D platform. We both came from video games, actually almost all of our entire team came from large-scale AAA video games and uh, we've decided to put our efforts here and I'm really really excited about everything that we're putting together with Ahmed and Lonnie for Juneteenth moving forward. Oh, thank you Trisha. One other question we had in the break was do you go to Comic-Con so people could talk to you and get your autograph? <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I, I have a hard time. Um, you know what's hard about it? And I'm going to be completely honest because we're all here. And we're all adults, I think. At least we, our avatars are. <laughs> um, I have a hard time charging people for my autograph. Mm. Um, I've done it before. But, um, you know, it's one of those generational things that I think I'm like right in right at the cusp of you know what i'm saying like i'm not i don't I, I i don't disagree with it i quite i think i understand it and i get it and somebody really explained it very well to me you know about selling the autograph it's like sometimes people have a hard time just asking right so it's a lot easier to just be like here here's, you know, X amount of dollars going to get an autograph. So I get that. Like, especially, you know, people who are, have some sort of like social anxiety disorder, which I've um, encountered quite a lot when I have done that. Um, or people on the spectrum, which I've encountered a lot. Um, mm. And, and it's, it's wonderful to meet those people. Um, because if not for that, those events, they would never talk to me. And I feel like they were, they're, they're really interesting, wonderful human beings, you know? Mm -hmm. So, you know, long way around saying, yes, I will do that. I'm, I'm actually going to make more of an effort now to like do that and, and talk to people. Um, I'm working with Lucasfilm in their um, diversity department and we are trying to kind of stamp out the, the toxicity in the fandom. So in order to do that, I got to talk to the fandom. So I'm probably mm. going to be making a lot more appearances, just garnering a lot more support for people who are um, for multiculturalism and diversity, especially uh, in fandoms and how to, and how to detoxify the fandom and, and the Star Wars fandom, because there's a lot of negativity and a lot of toxicity behind it. Star Wars is also a platform that is so large, as you mentioned before, it's very easy for um, those toxic fans to jump in and kind of take over the conversation. Mm. So we're, we're working together to find ways to do that. I'm hoping that the metaverse would be a, a, a good platform to do that as well. Great. Um, let's try Futurosity one more time. You there, Futurosity? There we go. How do I sound now? Perfect. Excellent. Well, 
I want to go back to what you mentioned earlier about ownership of digital information from the motion capture world. Uh-huh. In recent memory, there's been controversies from, let's say, TikTok dancers having their, uh, yeah. their likenesses and their motion borrowed um, and used for commercial purposes for a variety of video games. I was wondering, what are your thoughts on possibly using NFTs, for example, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I think that's probably the best use for blockchain technology. Um, I think uh, minting NFTs to try to sell art is probably going to go the way of the dinosaur if it hasn't already. But developing a digital tag you've created it is it's almost like a receipt that follows you yeah so um that would that would definitely be a great way especially for you know um dance creators tiktok my wife's a dancer and um you know a lot of dance moves that are created by black and latino youth are then used commercially without them and you know there was this huge campaign about you know black black creators on TikTok and you know black uh, TikTokers creating the the ecosystem TikTok and not getting the credit for it, um, which is what you're speaking to as well. So I think you know geotagging, blockchain tagging, or NFT tagging is a great way to do that. The hard part is. Um, we as a community need to be as strong as the corporations are. That's the, that's the tough part, right? Because what the corporations have um, are endless funds and resources to go after you, you know? And we as the users, we do have the power, right? But we don't have the power unless we're a collective, yeah? So if there is a way to mint our collective communal power and move the corporations into giving those type of reparations to creator, then that would probably be move, yeah? Because if I individually tag my motion capture movement and and give them and, and put a blockchain tag on them an nft tag on them i have to then mint that tag right that means i have to get the metadata from the people who who are who are capturing my movements and be able to tag that metadata and as an actor you sign contracts that give them all your rights to that data so there needs to be a collective communal response to having, you know, your right to your metadata. This is one of the things that we're going to be talking about with Origami Air on Air Afrorhythms, right? Because what in Air Afrorhythms, what we're trying to do is we're prototyping what's called an astro-egalitarian virtual nation, right? We want to create an egalitarian nation in the metaverse, and that nation comes with rights. And the right to your metadata is one of those rights. And but most of the time when you get your metadata, right, like you can get your metadata from Facebook, 
but it comes in this like, you know, packet or list. You don't know what's valuable or what's invaluable. Right? You don't know what people are taking and selling and using and tagging. And, and you have no idea about any of that metadata unless you're like Fidget, who's like, Fidget is also somebody else in Origami Air, who knows, you know, everything about metadata. So we want to try to make metadata accessible and we want to try to make that metadata accessible and readable and understandable so you can take control over it. And that stems from this idea of, you know, same thing with Henrietta Lacks and her digital cells and, and you know, African enslavement, right? When Africans were brought from Africa to the Americas, they built the entire American structure for free but there's no record of who built what. There's no compensation for that, right? Um, all we have are oral traditions, stories, right? But if we look at the labor of enslaved Africans to build the Americas and what they built, like for example, White House was built by enslaved Africans, right? But we just look at it as White House. We don't look at it as the metadata of the enslaved Africans that use their tools to build this building. Okay? If we did, then the ancestry of those of enslaved Africans would be compensated for the work that they did that they weren't compensated for before. Another example is rice. Rice was brought to the Americas first by West by way of West Africa. And West African rice farmers were enslaved specifically to grow the rice crop in the United States. And rice was the biggest export in the Americas, the largest. And it came from West African enslaved people, right? The actual rice came from West Africa. They brought the actual grain here and in order to grow that grain, you needed those West Africans, right? The knowledge that those West Africans brought to grow that rice is metadata. If you were to think about it as in, in digital cells, right? Is metadata. They did not have the right to that metadata. They most of the time didn't even have the right to that rice, right? They couldn't even eat the rice that they brought over and grew, right? So we have to have a, a, a conversation about metadata in, in, in that way, right? Where our digital selves and our digital lives have as much of an impact on what's going on in all the verses as our, you know, meat space lives. Yeah, it's really powerful ideas. I guess the, 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 do you think that the answer to that is having an open source metaverse? Because right now we're in Microsoft silo and there's Meta's silo, then there's, you know, Rec Room yeah. silo, and they, they're corporations who own everything in here. And how are we ever yeah. going to fight that? Um, and so the question is, is it open source? Is that the answer or is there another answer? I think that's, I think, uh, you know, I'm very much a pluralist when it comes to solutions. Um, I think that's one answer. Open sourcing is an answer, right? Open source platforms are going to be challenging because of security, right? The reason why Altspace and, and Tilt was schooling me on this when I, when I visited them in San Diego, Altspace 
takes care of the security part. I get that. Not everyone who wants to be in the metaverse, especially if you're open source, wants to be their own digital security company, right? So we need folks to help handle that. But open sourcing and being able to interpret what's valuable on a platform, I think is what needs to be open sourced, right? So what the data that they're taking from us using the platform and using in order to make the platform more usable or to give us products in the platform, we need to know what that thing is, right? We need to know how to read that because that's the value in the metadata, right? So I think that needs to be open sourced. Decentralized open source that hopefully, I guess the, you know, the issue these days is that, um, you know, all these companies, Meta loses a, like a billion dollars a year propping up their technology. So it's almost like we're, we're only able to experience all of this because a corporation like Microsoft has enough money to lose on it. Yes. Um, and it's sort of absolutely. like this, it, but in eight years or something, maybe it'll be a little bit more open to um, the technology will be a little more widespread in the end. You'll be able to have these decentralized platforms. Maybe that's part of the answer. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, it was like that in when when the internet first started. I remember, you know, back in the '90s, in the early '90s, in the days of like Netscape and Alta Vista and all of that stuff, and HTML1, we were just blown away that we can make a web page, right? Right. right. And then I remember when like websites used to cost like millions of dollars, you know. Right. Now you can download Squarespace, you know, or Wix or WordPress. You know, and you don't need to learn how to do HTML5, CSS, JavaScript, Python. You don't need to know any of that stuff. Everybody does the back end for you. Okay? So it'll it'll move in that direction the more we use it. I think we have to, what, what I'm passionate about is the imagination and creativity of us who make these spaces work and us having access to that value. Right. Like this space is phenomenal looking, you know, and it came from you. It came from your team. It came from your idea. It came from your imagination. Right. The value is not alt space. Value is this stage. It's these mountains. It's how we're moving through space. It's the screen. Right. That's the value. So the the creativity and imagination is is how we make the corporate structure work, right? Which is more about the power of the collective, the power of the community, right? You get scared, unfortunately. Corporations are big. They have a lot of money. They can, you know, house us when it comes to like suing and stuff like that. So we get, get frightened by how much we can do or demanding what we deserve, right? But as a collective, we still have the power, the people, the meta people and the meat people, we still have the power to move everyone in the direction that we need to move. We just have to believe it. Nice. Use the metaverse force is the, is the answer. Um, <laughs> Mikey loves VR. How's it going, Mikey? Okay, first of all, it is a, a great honor to meet you. Uh, also, um, are you opening to um, 
play Jar Jar Binks again, like, uh, like you know, with the Obi Wan Kenobi hype. You know, <laughs> you know play I get this Binks question again, a- like uh, before the Phantom Menace. Uh, I get this question a lot. I get this question a lot. If I want to, if I want to be Jar Jar again, um, it really depends on what it is. It really depends on what it is. If 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 Dave and John ask me to come in as Jar Jar, uh, or like something in in you know tying tying up loose ends. One of the hardest parts about Jar Jar is like I didn't get a good end. I don't huh. think, you know, in, in Sith, there's a, there was a, there was a, there's a, there's a scene in Sith where, um, got cut out and it was like me and Palpatine having a conversation and it was a really good scene because it could move the story in another way when it came to Jar Jar, but I, I never really got to close. I never really got a good closure for Jar Jar. So if there was something that really gave Jar Jar some closure, I'd do it. Clone Wars was was you know it was more of of you know Jar Jar continuation, and I got to get a girlfriend and all of that stuff, but um, I never really felt like I had closure. So if if there was some if there was a way to give Jar Jar some closure, I'd, I'd probably do it. Um, Turtle. All right. So well now. Hey. I'm thinking about uh, about Darth Jar Jar now that you just yeah had a, a, have to grow for that one right right <laughs> um, well, I, I wanted to go back to the the digital rights uh, and uh, Jaron Lanier wrote a good book called um, uh, Who Owns the Future and that yeah. has a lot of interesting yeah if you've mm-hmm. seen that um, yes. yeah the idea that it's not just like like what you like what you create, but then just these like micro micro transactions and sort of how do we all end up getting compensated? I like that you yeah taken it a step further to sort of think about it actually how it happens. Yes, yes, absolutely. Turtle. Um, and then we have one from Alan. So my first thing I want to say is, um, it's a, a pleasure, amazing to meet you. Like, uh, oh, thank you. Episode pleasure one. Was I grew up on that movie, and I didn't realize the guy who played Jar Jar was black until later. And you're such an inspiration. That's oh, thank you, amazing. But um, I work in the metaverse space, and I wanted to know your opinion on when do you see this technology, I guess, or full fleshed metaverse becoming reality? Like ten years, fifteen years? Oh, way sooner than that. I think it's going to be in the next three to five years. Um. You know, it's only as as it's going to grow as fast as people can build it, and it's being built pretty quickly. Um, I think we're at this stage in the metaverse where we have to figure out how we can retain what it is at its core, um, and still be able to do it while the advertisers come in and try to take over our brains, right? That's, that's going to be the challenge. That's going to be the challenge. Um, we know what's going to happen, right? We know that as soon as the killer app shows up, they're all going to be in here and there's going to be, you know, McDonald's signs floating everywhere, right? 
Um, but infrastructure wise, I think we can focus now on getting the infrastructure of the metaverse so um, wholesome and honest that even when they do fly in, they have to play by our rules. And they can't really take over, right? But I think it's it's going to it's 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 going to be a big thing very quickly. You know, all of these platforms, Meta platform, all space platform, they're throwing a lot of money at metaverse, right? They're throwing a lot of money and a lot of interest in metaverse, and they're trying to figure it out. You know, I have friends who work at Meta, who are um, uh, engineers there, who are who are really doing the next gen level of what this is and there's they're burning through cash like there's they they can burn through as much money as they possibly can so they got to figure it out but you know the creativity and the honesty and the imagination of uh, the us you know the first folk, the brand advocates the first people in if we build the infrastructure that, that's us right then regardless of what they do, it, 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 they won't be able to take it over. I really hope that we can uh, like up against the evil empire. I'm just going to keep using Star Wars <laughs> phrases to describe the metaverse. Yeah. Um, you need the light side of the force. Yeah, yeah, exactly. we got to make sure that the light side out, uh, wins out in here. So you've talked a little bit about your uh, Afro Futures uh, project. Is there anything else uh, we'd like to sort of end the show just talking about what your what's up next for you? We um, you know what your next projects are, and uh, so we'd love to hear it. Yeah, um, the big one is is the Juneteenth Origami Air unveiling of the Air Afro Rhythms. Um, there's going to be a hyperbike race. It's gonna, it's just what what Origami Air is doing. Please please check out Origami Air. Um, what, what's happening at Oregon here is just, fan, it, it's every kid's fantasy who ever like watched Tron or ever wanted to be, you know, inside, um, one of these worlds. It's, it's really wonderful what's going on over there. And Air Aphorhythms is going to be, uh, a space where we can have these kind of conversations in a real way and then create, um, ideas and create solutions. Um, my partner, Dr. Lonnie Brooks, and I created a game called Afro Rhythms from the Future, which is a card game, and it's a world-building game. So you can use the card game to ideate entire worlds and then build them, you know, right here, based on those ideas. So, you know, we'll be playing the game on air, Afro Rhythms. We'll be having events there. We're going to be doing playing music, sketch comedy, all of these things that are going to happen on the, in, on the air, Afro Rhythm origami air um and it's going to be a wonderful space so that's immediate future um i'm still writing and acting and directing you might see me in some stuff soon i did some stuff earlier this year that might come out hopefully early next year we'll see like february march next year um a couple indie things um and then i'm directing and i i'm i just finished directing a play in Los Angeles at the Echo Theater Company, and I'll probably be directing another one in the fall. Echo Theater Company, if you're in Los Angeles, it's a great theater company. It's the closest theater company to New York City that I found in Los Angeles. Mm. Um, 
So uh, you can check in, that, that out where, on Echo Theater. Is that in Echo Park? Where is that? It is in Atwater Village yeah, uh, in Los okay, Angeles on Casitas. Yeah, echotheatercompany.com is where that is. Um, the aphorithmfuturesgroup.org um, is where the aphorism stuff is going to be. Um, and then other than that, you can keep up with what I'm doing on Twitter at Ahmed Best and Instagram uh, at Best Ahmed and in the metaverse at Afro Bison. Bison stands for uh, Best Innovation Story Network. And wow. it's kind of way I um, teach narrative, right? And it's what I look for is, is innovative stories. And I look for people who can collectively put together innovative stories. And um, Best is my last name. So Best Innovations, Innovative Innovation Story Network is, is Bison. Very cool. Very cool. Well, it's been really uh, inspiring and informative and all of that, um, Ahmed. So thank you so much for coming. Thanks, Tilt and, and Trisha as well for uh, introducing us. And um, it's very happy to have you here and uh, happy everyone could come and share with your ideas. Thank you so much. My headset is about to die. So uh, <laughs> thank you all very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Johnny. It's been cool. it's been awesome. Well, well, thank you, everybody, for teleporting into this Worldcast Simulation Nation, whether you're with us virtual reality, listening to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, or watching in glorious Technicolor on YouTube. Remember to subscribe to our Instagram at The Simulation Nation, Twitter at Simulation VR, and our Discord server. Then join us next week for our belated review of Gamer. Till then, stay plugged. Bye, friends. <laughs>